Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 27th of December 2015. Hope you all had a, a good Christmas there and didn't eat way too much. Most folk apparently do. I don't, but uh, I'll leave it to others to do the eating, basically. This week, I'm going to continue with something that's going to, it does affect us all already. This predetermined, long-awaited agenda, of course, uh, which is going to go for the whole of your life, in a sense, uh, a way to bring in the whole agenda for total control of the world, the planet, everyone on it, uh, the end of private property under the, the guise of sustainability, uh, global warming, etc., and depopulation. Of the, because we're, we're really not necessary anymore. We're taking the resources of the elite who must go on into the future, into their wonderful sci-fi future that they think they're going to have. But in the meantime, they always profit off you, even as they bring you down. Always do that. So we're, this is the COP21 and all the characters involved that helped set it up over many, many, many years uh, and who profit from it uh, already. They already profit from it in some countries by trading the carbon trading uh, uh, units and so on that are given by governments for free to start it off, the big corporations. So this is a continuation from the 20th of December 2015, as I say, part two. And every article I read, I always put up the links for you to, to, for those who want to really follow what's happening in their lives and really want to know and can keep their mind on one thing, one area of it, the big, big global con game, then I put up the links and the PDFs and so on from the actual sites that put it up from the United Nations and all the con men involved. And to continue here, we have Red, R-E-D-D, it's also called, I think, Red Plus as well. It's from the United Nations, and it says, they're going about the usual propaganda, deforestation, forest degradation through agricultural expansion. It's, it's all your fault that they feed you, you know. Conversion to pasture land, infrastructure development, destructive logging, fires, blah, blah, blah. Then they go on about their nonsense. I'll just give you figures as though it's absolute dead on, etc. Like law of God, 20% of global greenhouse gases caused. Oh, my God. Can you believe that? It's all your fault. You see, you've got to pay for it now. Reducing emissions from deforestation and forest degradation. That's red. It's an effort to create a financial value. It's amazing how everything comes into financial values, isn't it? For the same guys who've pushed this whole big con. For the carbon stored in forests. Offering incentives for developing countries to reduce emissions and invest in low-carbon paths to sustainable development. You understand, when they say sustainable development, you're not in charge of your life anymore at all. They are. And it says red goes beyond deforestation and degradation and includes the role of conservation. Well, guess who's going to conserve the land and private property that you have at the moment? And sustainable management of forests and enhancement of forest carbon stocks. You know, you, you go through forests all the time, you see all these carbon stocks, and you just, oh, well, geez, you know, I've got all these carbon stocks all over the place. Wow. Wow. It's not it's such a farce. But again... The world is run by farces. And the indoctrination they put into all this, and the years they put into this, 
and indoctrinating children at school and into the adults too. They get it all the time if they watch television. Uh, it works. It works. They can con you into believing anything. And unfortunately, folk do often believe in anything. <laughs> and then there's one too. It says, The carbon market's financial game. How emissions trading at Paris Climate Talks has set us up for failure. And that's from Global Research. Uh, the Paris Agreement has mostly been greeted with enthusiasm from all the guys involved, though it contains at least one obvious flaw. Few seem to have noticed that the main tool mooted for keeping us within the two degrees centigrade, that's the God part, they see the playing God now, they can, like, we've got to stay within two degrees centigrade, you know. Global warming target is a massive expansion of carbon trading, including offsetting, which allows the market uh, exchange of credits, carbon credits between companies, as a corporations, and nations to achieve an overall emissions reduction. That's despite plenty of evidence that markets haven't worked well enough or quickly enough to actually keep the planet safe, or if it didn't do anything at all, apart from make a massive profit for all the big characters involved in the big corporations. The debate over where to include carbon markets in the financial agreement came right to the wire. Some left-leaning Latin American countries, such as Venezuela and Bolivia, vehemently opposed any mention, while the EU, European Union, Brazil and New Zealand, amongst other countries, pushed hard for their inclusion with support from the World Bank, naturally, because that's owned by the same one group that owns IMF and, and everything else, and many business groups. And it's pre-approved for a carbon credit card. Play with words. What we have ended up with is some murky semantics. Although terms such as carbon trading, carbon pricing, carbon offsetting, and carbon markets don't appear anywhere in the text, the agreement is littered with references to a whole range of new and expanded market-based tools. And it's, it's, it's all a giant magic con. See, it's like, it's like the money situation at present, and the way it's always been, the way they manage money internationally and so on, and nationally, and making it out of nothing. And then getting you in a debt out of nothing as well, because you've got nothing to do with it. What your nation's doing with the, with the money they take off you in taxes and everything else. Now they're also going to, and the derivative markets, now they've got another market, you see, carbon market. And a new country could be behind and paying off things too, so you're further in debt for paying off this nothing. But they want this nothing backed with your dollars. This Article 6 refers to voluntary cooperation between countries in the implementation of their emissions targets to allow for higher ambition in their mitigation. So you need to be ambitious to mitigate it, you see, and adaptation actions. If that's not exactly plain speak, then wait for how carbon trading is referred to as internationally transferred mitigation outcomes. This is a whole new, almost legal system. You need lawyers to, to do, do their con game of, again, semantics, playing with words. The same article also provides for an entirely new UN-controlled international market mechanism. All countries will be able to trade carbon. They actually don't trade it to see how much they've saved. It's all theoretical, you see, with each other. As I say, you should all just blow up balloons, breathe into balloons, that's CO2. You're trapping carbon, and then say you've done your bit when they come to ask for demand carbon taxes off you. You've done your, here you are, you've trapped carbon. That's more than they've done. Everything they're, they're talking about is theoretical. So they've got to buy the carbon off you because you've trapped it, you see. And it says, we'll be able to trade carbon with each other, helping to, each to achieve their national targets for emissions cuts. 
While trading between companies, countries or blocks of countries is done on a voluntary basis, the new mechanism dubbed Sustainable Development Mechanism. Remember that by that means, Sustainable Development. That includes population control and everything. Uh, will be set up to succeed the existing Joint Implementation and Clean Development Mechanism. That's another one, Clean Development Mechanism. Fighting for a massive expansion of carbon trading and offsetting while setting some basic standards. The carbon market proponents have already celebrated this as a new year of international carbon trading, allowing the linking of existing national and regional trading schemes such as the EU ETS, as well as the soon-to-be-established Chinese market. Then you've got forest offsets included for the first time. And I'll put this up, so it's quite a long article, it's, it's interesting too. But you understand, we're talking about the king has no clothes. It's all a big con. So that the elite can get stinking rich more than they are, they're already stinking rich and control everything on the planet, including you. And you pay for it all. You pay for it all. Then this article here, what's carbon pricing? The phrase pricing carbon has become increasingly common as discussions of how to address climate change move from concern to action. The World Bank Group, business groups and investors have called on governments and corporations around the world to support carbon pricing to bring down emissions and drive investment into cleaner options. It's all dirty money, you know, you know, filthy lookery. But they do like filthy lookery at the top. That's what they mean by being filthy rich. I say, so what does it mean to put a price on carbon? And why do many governments and business leaders support it? Because they're all involved in the big con. They'll get paid off by the big boys if they can get their countries involved. There are several paths governments can take to price carbon, all leading to the same result. They begin to capture what are known as the external costs of carbon emissions, costs that the public pays for in other ways, such as damage to crops and healthcare costs from heat waves and droughts or to property from flooding and sea level rise. All cons, because you've got nothing to do with it. You really don't. And tie them to their sources through a price in carbon. You understand, this is the old con. I pulled out the hat again that the ancient priesthoods used to have of sun worship and moon worship. And, of course, they would make the people and terrify them that if they didn't cough up the cash and chuck their jewellery into the collection box, uh, and enough of it too, uh, then the priests couldn't do all their chanting and stuff and make the sun rise in the morning. And, or the moon rise, you see, at night. And, uh, and it worked awfully well for thousands of years. Awfully, awfully, they mean awfully, awfully rich, in fact. Awfully rich. It's the same con again. That these boys are going to, as they get stinking rich, you see, they're going to get, uh, through their carbon trading and all the rest of it, and pricing it off of you. Uh, they're going to save you all. Save you all. And, uh, and, and keep the carbon down, you see. And if they do that, they can keep the planet from toasting you to death. Same old con again, you see. And all this time, they use scientific babble 
absolute babble uh, to, to, to terrify you. Oh, it's scientific. It must be true. You know? Meanwhile, all these carbon experts and the economic experts all involved in who are going to be stinking rich, as I say, massively rich off this new whole new con game where of nothingness, money off of nothing, and your kicks for free. Eh? So, as he's a price in carbon to help shift the burden for the damage back to those who are responsible for it. It's all your fault because you live and you breathe, you know. And who can reduce it? Instead of dictating who should reduce emissions, where and how, a carbon price gives an economic signal and polluters decide for themselves where to discontinue their polluting activity, reduce emissions, or continue polluting and pay for it. You see? In this way, the overall environmental goal is achieved in the most flexible and least cost way to society. Now, who's going to decide how much Carbon has been emitted in your country. You're going to have carbon uh, officially tested, and you might know the cons involved in setting those meters off, eh? Into the, the what they want them to read. They can imagine them all over the country, and everyone got them in their house and everything, from personal taxes to national taxes, state taxes, provincial taxes, all the rest of it. It's impossible. So the guess, you see, the guess, yeah. And it then gives you the, all the different forms, the ETS, sometimes referred to as cap-and-trade system, caps the total level of greenhouse gas emissions and allows those industries with low emissions to sell their extra allowances to larger emitters. A carbon tax directly sets a price in carbon by defining a tax rate on greenhouse gas emissions. Remember, most greenhouse gas is actually water vapour. Or more commonly, on the carbon content of fossil fuels. Because they don't want you driving around and stuff like that, you see. Mind you, if we'd started off... Actually, we did start off with electric cars, I think, in the days of Edison. And uh, it was touch and go initially between him and Ford for different kinds of cars. But electric cars are simply inefficient. They, they burn out their batteries faster too, often costly to replace them. The cost of charging it and the time it takes to charge it is phenomenal as well. All that kind of thing. But, but imagine if they started off and kept on electric cars. They'd be prattling about electric cars causing it today, you see. With the ozone. It would be the ozone thing. Because, the, you know, the, 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 the motors give off ozone, you see, electric motors. Whatever con works is what they use. Anyway, the choice of the instrument will depend on national and economic circumstances. Who's putting the price on carbon? 40 countries and more than 20 cities, states and provinces already use carbon pricing mechanisms or are planning to implement them. And it gives you a little map to look at to, to try and make you think it's true. These jurisdictions are responsible for more than 22% of global emissions. Others are developing and considering systems that will put a price in carbon in the future. Altogether, these actions will encompass almost half of global CO2 emissions. And then it gives you a few examples of pilot trading emissions. And and so on and, and the, again they, 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 they can bypass your nations. They've been doing that for years. Two United Nations, uh, you know, think local, think global, act local, and you, you get different states and cities that have been at it. I've been I've read over that in the past. All the ones involved and who set it up, etc. And then you know, this article here. 
post-gore, that's Al Gore, and the coming carbon climb-down. And it says it's perhaps the greatest speculative bubble since Holland's tulip mania. At the peak of tulip mania, circa 1637, a single tulip bulb sold for more than 3,000 Dutch guilders. That's ten times the annual income of a skilled craftsman in those days. It was great while it lasted, but reality eventually caught up with the creative opportunists. Man-made global warming, or as it likes to be referred to these days as climate change, had a grand plan in its heyday. The mythology was underpinned by a new economic model, one which hoped to monetize CO2 emissions, or more accurately, the absence of CO2. And this article is, is, uh, I'll I'll keep reading it too, but this article is is, is quite interesting when when you go through it. And it goes on about this, it says. Think of Al Gore and his associates like David Blood. That is one of his associates. Uh, Blood and Gore, you know. It's a pretty different guy called Guts here as well. Guts, Blood and Gore, eh? Because uh, they ended up making a killing. As a Bernie Madoff of the environmental movement, they created a market which has been disintegrating from day one, including a total collapse of the Chicago Climate Exchange, but not before the principal players cashed in their shares and abandoned that, uh, that ship, I guess it's meant to be. It's an epic story of modern high-day priests and soothsayers, political hubris and pseudoscientific largesse on a scale never before seen in history. From Al Gore and his investor fund partner David Blood, their current uh, thrust is more like dancing in the dark than out-of-the-box thinking due to warmists and peakists, now having to fight on several fronts at the same time. Writing in Wall Street Journal and similar outlets several times in 2013, they soldiered forward with the claim that fossil carbon assets are headed for a bust and green energy can only soar. Along with Britain's Lord Stern, the former World Bank chief economist and author of the Stern Report on Fighting Global Warming, all the con men are in on it, of course, they say uh, all fossil fuels are so dangerous for the world's climate they must be completely phased out by 2015 or before. Mrs. Gorham Blood, however, know well through operating the Climate Energy Hedge Fund, and they're a hedge fund scheme, you see, Generation Investment Management, that the carbon finance business, especially emissions credits and related financial assets, has already suffered a bust. The world's only mandatory credits trading scheme in Europe is struggling to keep itself afloat. The reasons why Europe's ETS is now on political life support and may be scrapped include massive overissue of credits, these carbon credits, by European governments and the European Central Authorities. Outright fraud and the reissue of already used credits because these are the, these are the con men deal with cash. Now they're into this new, new con, it's made for them, you see. Uncertainty concerning the future value of credits and other factors such as the intrinsic worthlessness of hot air credits. But you know, that's a whole, it's all con. And when they introduce these credits into your countries, your government uses your tax money and gives them as gifts as free carbon credits to start off the trading for the big corporations to use. Give it millions to each one. Beautiful, isn't it? You pay for everything. Even to be conned, you pay. 
you know. And it says, uh, ETs and bad bets. Massive overissue of ETs. Tradable paper was operated not only to make warmers happy, but also to please the carbon market maker banks and climate hedge funds, like Al Gore's and so on, who rapidly broke any link between this asset creation binge and its real-world base or underlying asset, or actual European CO2 emissions, which have heavily declined in most EU countries since 2008, except by supreme irony in green Germany, presently constrained by rapidly increased uh, increases coal-fired power production. European emissions have shrunk due to economic recession, outplacement of energy-intensive industries, energy-saving, and the development of so-called green non-fossil energy. And this goes on to about the con of all and the, and the banksters again and uh, the brokers involved in all of this too. They, they also touch on the past cons that the same kind of characters played with, like peak oil went back in the 70s, which never happened at all. It was a big con. Now you've got lots of it all over the place. And uh, and so on and so on. But they were run by cons. I mean, money itself is a con. It's never stable from one day to the next, never mind from one generation to the next or, or anything like that. It's meant to be elastic so the boys who manipulate it can reap off the massive profits. And so on. It's an awful racket. Evans a racket, though, in life. That's why it's really pretty absurd, you know. People, there's a lot of folk who do just laugh at life itself, and no wonder you either laugh or you cry with the cons that go on. For centuries, even thousands of years. And this article, too, I'll put down, uh, it's to do with after the post-Gore article I read too, uh, carbon pricing, a PDF, I'll put that up tonight as well. And um, I'll put up with this as well, to do with blood and gore. At least I'll get the link to the article. Blood and gore, making a killing on anti-carbon investment hype. Surprise Al Gore and his carbon credit huckstering partner, David Blood, both principals at Generation Investment Management, Warn in their October the 30th Wall Street Journal, a feature of uh, peril to fossil fuel investment due to the coming carbon asset bubble. They argue that such unwise, increasingly reckless investment strategies pose three broad risks which will cause carbon assets to become stranded and lose economic value through direct government carbon regulation a result of their market share losses to already competitive renewable technologies and due to socio-political pressures causing carbon-intensive businesses to lose their license to operate. Marketing and climate alarm. Uh, Of course, this carbon regulation is posited upon saving the earth based upon a consensus within the scientific community. That's what I always tell you. They're hand-picked scientists that were making tiddlywinks before and now are keeping their mouths shut, except they prattle the cause, uh, because they're getting awfully well paid to do it, and they're never going to tell you the truth. Uh, that's a problem with humanity in itself, isn't it? Uh, it isn't just self-preservation, it's that they want to get stinking rich and be suddenly important when they weren't before. So you can always get lots of prostitutes, uh, unfortunately, within humanity. It says... Um, 
And where it comes to promulgating and capitalising upon carbon climate-crazed social-political pressure, you'd be hard-pressed to find two better authorities, Gordon Blood, the former chief of Goldman Sachs Asset Management, that's called GSAM, co-founded London-based GIM in 2004. Between 2008 and 2011, the company had raised profits of nearly $218 million from institutions and wealthy investors. By 2008, Gore was able to put $35 million into hedge funds and private partnerships through the Capricorn Investment Group, a Palo Alto company uh, funded by his Canadian billionaire buddy, Jeffrey Skoll, the first president of eBay, Inc., it was Skull's participant media that produced Gore's feverishly frightening 2006 horror film called An Inconvenient Truth, or as many call it now, Spoof. In 2007, following an investigation of the, move, of the movie, Sir Michael Burton, a judge in London's High Court, ruled that it can, be, uh, it can be shown in secondary schools only if accompanied by guidance notes from teachers to balance Mr. Gore's one-sided views, Judge Barton pointed out that his apocalyptic vision was politically partisan and not an impartial analysis. He stated, It's built around the charismatic presence of the ex-Vice President Al Gore, whose crusade is to persuade the world of the dangers of climate change caused by global warming. It's now common ground that this is not simply a science film, although it's based substantially on science research and opinion, but is clearly a political film. And uh, the whole article is actually there. I'll put that up tonight as well. And then this article to Al Gore again, Wikipedia. It gives you his uh, a lot of his history and all the other cons he's been involved in, including politics, which is a big con as well. And uh, you, you get a, a good insight into this character altogether. Then you have this article too, to do with the company. Generation was founded in 2004 by Al Gore. David Blood began investing client money in April 2005. With offices in London and New York, the firm employs 55 people. Generation's advisory board, convened by Gore, helped set Generation's long-term thematic research agenda into global sustainability and renewable energy issues. Past areas of focus have included climate change, poverty and development, ecosystem services and biodiversity, water scarcity, pandemics, demographics and migration and urbanization. This is in November 2007. Generation, the company, and Kleiner Perkins, Caulfield and Byers announced a global collaboration to find, fund and accelerate green, green business technology and policy solutions with the greatest potential to help solve the current climate crisis. See, there is no climate crisis, folks. Climate goes up and down like a yo-yo. Every few years, and many times in a century, climate changes often day-to-day. That's normal. And remember, plants need carbon dioxide as part of their system to live. And grow. That doesn't matter. You know, I can't keep a good con down. As part of the collaboration, prominent KPCB partner John Doerr joined Generations Advisory Board. And it gives you the partnerships, the Alliance for Climate Protection with Repower America, 
World Resources and Institute, National Resources Defence Council, the Climate Project, and the Mistra Foundation. And gives you uh, also investments by OSRA and the New Resource Bank. They put up the green banks too, where they can take all the tax money off you for taxes on carbon. And funnel them through all the different banks. Everybody's in there. All the old names are in it. But Rothschilds have their private bank in Switzerland scheduled to receive all the EU carbon credits going through their bank. I mean, it's the same old cons, you know, with a new name. The king has no clothes. But again, you're an heretic if you say it's all a big con. Because they're trying to make it and indoctrinate everyone into the belief in this religion, this green religion, you see. Which they themselves know is a con. And also this article here, the Climate Reality Project. And it's a a non-profit organization, you know. Involved in education and advocacy related to climate change. Established in July 2011 after the joining of two environmental groups, the Alliance for Climate Protection and the Climate Project, which were both funded or founded in 2006 by, guess who again, Al Gore. Amongst its activities, the Climate Reality Project hosts an annual event called 24 Hours of Reality and in 2013 launched Reality Drop a social media tool. Well, they certainly are dropping reality, aren't they? And, and it says it's a non-profit organization focused on climate change education and countering climate change denial campaigns worldwide. This organization was established following the con- consolidation of two environment organizations, the Alliance for Climate Protection and the Climate Project, both founded in 2006 by Al Gore. Gore currently serves as chairman of the board of directors. Ken Berlin is the Climate Reality Project's president and CEO. Operation of the Climate Reality Project is overseen by a board of directors whose members include Sherwood Bollert, uh, James Gustav Speth, Cindy Horn, Larry Schweiger, and Theodore Roosevelt IV, in addition to Chairman Gore. Since its establishment, the Climate Reality Project has trained over 7,800 individuals representing 126 countries as volunteer climate leaders for the project. As of 2015, the organization operated 10 branches worldwide and is active in over 30 countries. No, he's, he's not making it all happen through, through you know, getting thinking. He's doing it work to make sure everyone's conned into it too, you know. Never start a premature revolution. Lay the groundwork. Do all the, get all ready before you do it, you see. Climate Change Reality maintains a list of top green countries on this website, which curiously includes high-carbon-emitting Germany and Austria, but excludes France, Lithuania, and the Ukraine with much lower carbon emissions. The Alliance for Carbon Protection was founded in 2006 by Al Gore to encourage civic action against climate change. All the NGOs, their big foundations, their armies, uh, that are paid by the big foundations, you see. The organization was founded in Palo Alto, California, no, where else, and later moved to Menlo Park, California, before going to Washington, D.C. in 2009. Originally established as a 501c3, that's, that's um, basically 
tax free organisation. The organisation later included an affiliated 501c4, the Climate Protection Action Fund, which developed advocacy campaigns focused on climate change solutions, in other words, propaganda campaigns, through uh, grassroots organising and lobbying their, their paid uh, NGO armies. You see? The organisation was partially funded by proceeds donated from Gore's documentary, The Inconvenient Spoof, as well as profits from the book of the same name. Gore also donated his salary from his work for the venture capital firm Kleiner, Perkins, Caulfield and Byers and prize money from his 2007 Nobel Peace Prize for a total of more than $2.7 million. The distributor of the Inconvenient Truth, Paramount Classics, also donated 5% of the film's box office earnings to the Lions. It was also funded by profits from live Earth concerts in 2007. They got everybody on board, you see. The Lions encouraged federal policies that limited greenhouse gas emissions and supported low-carbon power sources. Former campaigns from the Lions include the bipartisan WE campaign launched 2008 which included an advertisement called We Can Solve It, featuring Nancy Pelosi and Newt Gingrich, jointly calling for a response to climate change. And it was created to prompt public action against climate change on a national and international level. They also got the, the, the Girl Scouts of America involved in it, United Steelworkers of America and National Audubon Society. The same year, the Lions launched the, the Repower America campaign to support Gore's directive to shift American homes to, to 100% clean energy within 10 years. Anyway, uh, this goes on and on and on with all the cons, National Wildlife Federation involved, the uh, conservations, all, all the usual suspects, you know. But it's a good article, and there's a lot in it too, with uh, the project, the recent history, activities, and, uh, and and so on and so on. It's quite something. And also to the Climate Reality Leadership Core. Yeah, a leadership core. That's 6,000 grassroots climate reality leaders. Maybe they're the, the lesser priests, the high priests. You know, the, Not quite the high priests, but the lesser priests, the grassroots ones, climate reality leaders. Yeah. And they give training events. So it's quite something. Don't you get fed up with all these cons your whole life long? Don't you get so fed up with it all? And then we have the Natural Resources Defense Council, the New York City-based non-profit, all non-profit by, owned by the big corporations, the big foundations, you see. A non-profit international environmental advocacy group with offices in Washington, D.C., San Francisco, Los Angeles, Chicago, and Beijing. Founded in 1970, NRDC has 1.4 million members and online activities nationwide and a staff of more than 400 lawyers, <laughs> scientists, and other policy experts. Now, the big... I call them corporations, they'll call themselves non-governmental organizations and foundations and, and so on. Non-profit, you understand. Uh, ha, ha. The Natural Resources Defense Council 
is a New York City-based non-profit international environmental advocacy group. I mean, it's a well-paid propaganda institution, that's what it means. With offices in Washington, D.C., San Francisco, Los Angeles, Chicago, and Beijing. 1.4 million members, they claim, in online activities nationwide, and staff of more than 40 lawyers, scientists, and policy experts. It was founded in 1970 by John Adams, Richard Ayers, John Bryson, Edward Strobin, and Gus Speth. Together with a board of scientists and attorneys, the NRDC is the forefront is are at the forefront of the environmental movement. The organization states that it seeks sustainable policies from federal, state, and local government and industrial corporations. It seeks to influence federal and state environmental and other agencies, the Congress and state legislatures, and the courts to reduce global warming, limit pollution, and generally conserve energy. Well, government <laughs> does conserve energy. They don't do much. They sit around there and eat a lot and increase sustainability of commerce and manufacturing. NRDC participates in litigation in the federal and state courts to influence implementation and enforcement of the Clean Air Act, Clean Water Act, and other federal and state laws protecting the environment. Also supports an environmental science program that involves NRDC staff, their own staff, you see, and associated scientists, including a program seeking transformation of manufacturing industries to more sustainable production. In addition, the organization states that it educates the public. In other words, they're a public relations propaganda organization. 2001, it launched the Biogems Initiative to mobilize concerned individuals in defense of exceptional and imperiled ecosystems. Issued a report on the health effects arising from September 11, 2001 attacks, when they get in on every opportunity, in other words. NRDC became involved with community activists in New Orleans following Hurricane Katrina. And it has published a number of studies on nuclear weapon stockpiles around the world, both as monographs and as individual studies in the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists. December 2006, Green Day and NRDC jointly launched a website to raise awareness of the U.S.'s petroleum dependence. There are reports of the NRDC's uh, receiving funding from groups with ties to Russia's state-owned oil company. Well, they have them from all countries, I'm sure. And it gives you the programs, the Climate and Clean Air program, focuses on clean air, global warming, transportation. I'll tell you who's behind all that, too. It's the guys, the big corporations to do with electric cars. Understand that the Elon and Gordon and all the rest of them are involved in the same big project, you see. And it says the health program works on issues involving drinking, water, and so on. The international program works worldwide on rainforest, biodiversity, habitat preservation, oceans, marine life, nuclear weapons, and global warming. The land program works on issues related to national forest parks and, and other public lands and private forest lands. Private forest lands. You understand with COP21, when it really gets into the full swing and expands itself, you won't get private property. You won't be allowed to get it. Except for the big boys, you'll have it. Under a trust fund, you see. So technically it's not really private, so the trust owns it. And they have their big mansions, which they already do, of course. And they want to reduce the consumption of wood products. The nuclear program uh, and the urban program focuses on environmental issues in urban centres and surrounding areas. Uh, into garbage recycling, transportation sprawl, 
uh, sprawl, that's you, urban sprawl, that's you spreading out, you know, they want you all crammed together. They want you crammed together, <laughs> not themselves. The Water and Oceans Program works on issues related to the nation's water quality, fish populations, wetlands, etc., etc., etc. And it's got a Latino outreach program, and, and so on and so on. I guess on and on. I guess the directors as well, uh, who they are, and so on. Uh, Ria Su is the current president. Peter Lenner is the executive director. President Francis Benek was appointed by President Barack Obama to the National Commission on the, the BP Deepwater Horizon oil spill and offshore drilling in the wake of the Deepwater Horizon oil spill. So really, they, they want to be the high priest of everything, everything you need, actually. Uh, they're in global warming, uh, the world's oceans, and includes the fish and everything else, endangered wildlife and wild places, protecting public health from, by preventing pollution. They understand, when you get to that, you really understand they hit upon this whole idea of global warming and so on to get a very old agenda through of total control of the populations of the planet from birth to death, including population reduction, because you, when you have children, you see, those children then need physical items to live, clothing and food and everything else. And that's what they're talking about. Each one is a carbon energy unit that consumes, consumes. So they hit upon this idea of, of uh, we've got to tax you on the grave by, by, for global warming and so on. To save you. But I'll put this up too. It goes into all the different um, things they're into, public lands, etc., and what they've been up to. And you understand what democracy is supposed to be for the definition of it. It's rule through government of the majority with the right of minorities to criticize policies. These characters set themselves up and advise governments. And then this article here, Mistra, that I want to mention but to do with uh, all the, one of the groups with Al Gore and all that. The world faces major challenges associated with the environment, human use of natural resources and impact on surroundings. Swedish Foundation for Strategic Environmental Research plays an active part in meeting these challenges by investing in the kind of research that helps to bring about sustainable development of society. It's done by investing in various initiatives in which researchers and users make joint contributions to solving key environmental problems. It's all it benefits society and their own bank account. Well, sorry, it doesn't say bank accounts here, but you know, it's, that's what it's about. Every year, Mr. invests a sum of around SEK $200 million and various research initiatives to build bridges amongst academic principles as well as between research, on the one hand, and companies, public agencies, and other stakeholders. And the purposes that they say here too is to create strong world-class research environments uh, for research to result in benefits consistently high quality as a crucial requirement, solve key environmental problems, and strengthen Swedish competitiveness and be valuable to users. And so on and so on. And they give you their asset management, who's on the board, external associates, 
In other words, who, who helps uh, get the cash to them, all the foundations and all the rest of it too. They're all connected. All these four connected. And then the climate activist Jeff Skoll, the guy from, was from Canada, he's now in LA, of course, and he's in the preaching movies and so on, uh, places long-term bet, Pali Al Gore. Uh, and it says, almost 10 years since the premiere of An Inconvenient Truth, the man who financed Al Gore's film is still advocating the power of storytelling to change the world. Well, we've been conned and, and changed, the world's been changed so many times in history by the storytellers, you know. Jeff Skoll, who amassed a $4 billion fortune as the first employee at AB, says philanthropists' money goes further if they can galvanize public opinion for their cause. They want to help you understand. It happens when you have a certain sum with so many zeros after it in your bank account. You just suddenly have an epiphany and, and you're on board with sustainability, like Bill Gates and all the rest of them. Uh, and and reduce, reducing the population and looking after the wildlife and and make sure that folk are healthier by making sure that you've got, you're, you're, you're injecting them with all these different inoculations that sterilize them and things like that. Because you want to help them, you see. It just happens suddenly. You can't help it. This is Mr. Skoll, who founded Participant Media, the film production company, also says keeping up the pressure for change means accepting you may be, be in for a long haul. And the latest of the, the FT's ambitious wealth series of videos with billionaire philanthropist Mr. Skoll says his response to the success of his former U.S. Vice President's film was one of his biggest mistakes. We figured the scientists and the public opinion will take care of it from there, he says. Now over the last five years, the fossil fuel industry fought back. Lesson one, if you're going to do a campaign about something, be in it for the long haul. The film in which Mr. Gore sets out the risks of climate change, of course it was a public relations thing as opposed to a propaganda movie, you know, was first shown at the Sundance Festival in January 2006. A decade later, with climate change talks due to start in Paris, which is that they're gone there, of course, the ones they just had, Mr. Skoll's philanthropy is still on about global warming. His Skoll Global Threats Fund has funneled money to a network of campaign groups that aim to generate grassroots political support for environmental policies. He told the Financial Times that his commitment to storytelling comes from a teenage desire to become a writer, but he ultimately decided to become an entrepreneur, fearing there was no money in journalism. And then they're going to have other movies and so on too. So I'll put that up. And also this article, Jeffrey Skoll, is a Korean-born engineer, internet entrepreneur, and film producer. He's currently based in Los Angeles, California. It gives you his sort of estimated net worth and all the rest of it. He was ranked by Forbes magazine as the seventh wealthiest Canadian and then 347th in the world. The first employee and also first president of internet auction firm eBay. And used the wealth that gave him to become a philanthropist, particularly through the Skoll Foundation and his media company, The Participant Media. That goes through his life there for those who are interested in it. Also, I'll put up the link to the Skoll Foundation itself, and uh, you can actually see what they're into. Uh, You can see all the the names you've heard before, like the Sundance Institute, uh, and so on and so on, that he's involved with, of course. And they give awards out to different uh, other propagandists and so on. 
this article is good as well. Now, these, these are dry subjects for a lot of folk. They want emotion involved and they want to get... They can't listen to a kind of lecture anymore. They can't keep their mind on the same topic for very long. They want entertainment. They want to be entertained. It's, it's kind of like educational, education with entertainment there and comedy. They can't really focus on, on the one, one topic. They want to jump all over the place. As, and that's how they, they watch everything. It's, it's like the old days of, of when they brought first out the, the remote TV channel changers. And, and eventually, before you know it, the whole world was just flip, 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 flip. You know, they couldn't concentrate more than five seconds on anything. And it's getting worse and worse and worse. And now you have to have almost um, just entertainment. They can't, they can't just handle bear truth anymore and bear facts anymore. Uh, I was thinking back to Brzezinski talking about uh, in the 70s in his book uh, Between Two Ages how the public were almost at the step back then where they expected the media to do their thinking for them but they also expected it now. They were expected to do their reasoning for them, to reason for them. You know, thinking is troublesome having you work things out for yourself. Let the media do it all for you. That's pretty well here, I really think so. This is in up to Paris Climate Change Talks, the BHP Billiton Limited, one of the world's largest coal miners, warned its investors about how a global deal to curb emissions would affect its portfolio. The Anglo-Australian mining giant explained the switch to lower carbon natural uh, gas and renewable energy supplies could hamper demand for coal and power plants. The company's oil business could also take a hit from the growing fleet of more fuel-efficient cars and alternative vehicles. We believe investors will be able to decide how well BHP Billiton is equipped to manage climate risk. Dean Dalla Valley, the company's chief commercial officer, said during the report's September release. More disclosure will allow investors, policymakers, and regulators to make more informed decisions. It was a, the special report was a rare attempt by a corporation to pinpoint its vulnerabilities to the global shift away from high carbon fossil fuels and towards cleaner alternatives. Yet the majority of companies, from oil drillers to coal miners to steel product producers and other energy intensive businesses, don't provide their investors with a similar level of detail. Most companies adopt vague boilerplate language about the risk of climate change regulations to their portfolios if they mention climate change at all. Global business leaders and shareholder activists say that it has to change, especially in light of the landmark climate deal signing Paris earlier this week. Leaders from nearly 200 nations agreed to limit the rise in global temperatures without joking. Now, back in the 60s, the same groups to get the agenda three, we're going to hit on global cooling at the time, coming ice age. And they had all their documentaries out there, oh, it's coming, and they're going to have to increase the heat to keep us all alive. You know? You can't keep a good con man down, can you? You just can't do it. You just can't do it. Out of every disaster, they see, look for an opportunity for the next con, you see. Oh, it's quite amazing. 
I was like, your pants work. And the bottom line is, you're run by con men and you always have been. Always. There's lots of evidence in the past, if I've mentioned it before, from ancient priesthoods and the sun worshippers and all that. And every religion has got its cons in it. Many are ashamed of some of their histories nowadays, too. Of how to get money and raise money. It's always money, 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 isn't it? Because in the material world, those that rule the system of money rule the world. And they're always coming up with better cons to get money for nothing. It's always money for nothing. And we're a better way to do it than climate change, where everybody pays up for natural events. We've had ice ages, warming ages, volcanoes and everything, long before humanity existed. And they come and go, as big boys well know. But remember, there's a bigger agenda behind all of this because they're looking towards their future at the top. They've always been doing this. Go into the archives at cutting3matrix.com and look at the thousands of things I've read in the past of the cons in the ancient times, Middle Ages, and right to the present times. And the history of the eugenics movement and those behind the eugenics movement and the alarm they created about all overpopulation will be taking up our resources, all the useless eaters, that's what they call the general population, will be obsolete. We won't need them anymore. We'll have to kill them off because they'll be consuming uh, limited resources that we need for our own good genes to get passed off into the future for their survival. And as they kill you off, I mean, you pay for for all and profit off of you and have you work for them even towards their sustainability for themselves, they laugh up their sleeves. In fact, they laugh in your face sometimes. And the people are so dumbed down today they can't really see it at all. We're so dumbed down, highly entertained, mind you. We're entertained to death today. And entertainment, as I've said for years, contains all the indoctrination that they need to get through into your brain because your guard is down when you're being entertained. Perfect indoctrination, you see. But as I said, I never came out to really influence masses of people because it's the rare person who can follow so much of it. It's the rare person that cares to follow so much of it without killing themselves in the process either. Because it's a heavy load, a heavy burden to understand the cons that go on. All kinds of cons. Every day, on a worldwide scale, by big select groups of people all connected with each other through different businesses, corporations and everything else. And family ties as well often. And it's a sad thing too to to want to understand what truth is. It's like John Lennon uh, sung a song, All I Want Is The Truth. <laughs> I mean, 
uh, sort of Pontius Pilate, you know. It's always the same story. What is truth? When we're so lied to and propagandized, and the sources that give you what's called news all work for the big boys in the first place. Francis Bacon, too, uh, wrote for royalty, uh, almost like a, a resume in a sense, very much like um, Machiavelli, stating to the king, you know, the public's best the public really never know the real the real motives of government behind some part of the government's agenda. That they, you know, because they, they couldn't handle the truth. In other words, the, the people would say, no, "I'm not going to go along with that." So rather than that, this lie to you, give the people a good cause, a good cause, a good reason, a good lie to pay up for what this or pay up for that or where it happens to be, and it's much easier that they go along with, "Oh well, you know, that sounds reasonable." Sick taxes. Bacon also says, you know, if you put uh, suddenly increased everything by one pound, the British pound, the monetary value, um, there'd be an outrage, there'd be riots and civil unrest. So don't do that. Just increase a penny here and a penny there on different items. You'll get your pound even more than one pound, and, and they'll hardly even grumble. They've always known how to manage the general population. But now they're in for the kill, literally. Literally. And they mean it. And they mean business. And they will enforce their tyranny. They'll enforce it through all of this sustainability, etc., etc. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God, your God, school with you. <laughs>